another edition of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Episode number 25, in fact, our silver anniversary. Gifts are welcome. I'm your host, Alan Walker, and along with my co-hosts, Toby Coulshaw and Alison Etridge, in this episode, we spoke with Anastasia Colos, Market Intelligence Lead at Nexperia. In his news bit, Toby covered topics like the impact of the war in Ukraine on tech skills migration across Europe, in particular into Poland, youth unemployment levels in China, and much more. And in our chat with Anastasia, we discussed treating talent as strategic human capital, not just headcount numbers, building agile talent intelligent teams that partner closely with the business, the potential of skills-based hiring and how companies aren't operationally ready for it yet, Anastasia's career path from executive search into talent intelligence and her vision for bringing together external talent intelligence and internal workforce analytics and a ton more. So get comfy, get listening, get learning and stay intelligent folks. Now let's get into the podcast. Before we get on with the main event, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Stratagens and here's a very well-spoken chat to tell you a little bit more about them. Strategens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional or based on gut feeling, visit strategens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more. Hello, I'm the real Alan Walker, back in the hosting seat for episode 25 of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Uh, joining me today are the authentic human versions of Toby and Alison. Say hello, fellow humans. Hello, fellow hello, humans. Hello, fellow humans. <laughs> They're very literal there. I was referring to you as the fellow humans rather than needing to repeat that exactly, but it will do. And we have an actual flesh and blood guest, Anastasia Collas. Anastasia, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm Anastasia Kolos, uh, Market Intelligence Manager at uh, Nexperia. Um, yeah, in my role, I've been already five years in talent intelligence in, in my current role, focusing on all matters, talent, intelligence, and, and human capital analysis, um, looking at external talent labor markets, uh, trying to stay ahead of uh, talent trends and really being a trusted advisor for, for our business. Happy to be here in this group. Excellent. Thank you, Anastasia. And we're going to hear welcome, much welcome. more from you later. Welcome. Um, for any listeners who listened to the last episode, you'll have got the kind of reinforcement of the word human in my intro. Um, you're probably mortified by this slightly actually massively depressing AI renditions of ourselves, but you'll be pleased to know that this time it's 100% real people all the way through. Um, I might be a bit rusty, though, since the AI did so much of the heavy lifting last time, so I'll try and jump back into a smooth podcasting mode. Um, as ever, once I'm done with the, the preamble or the pre-ramble, I can never decide, um, Toby will cover the latest human-created talent intelligence news, and we'll all have a nice old people-centred chat about it. And then Alison will humanly interview our human guest. Um, then I'll attempt to close out like a normal human podcaster. We'll see if I can pull it off. All right, so let's give this power, human-powered podcast a go. Um, it's without doubt going to be better than the robotic one from a few weeks back. 
for now. <laughs> Toby, <laughs> over to you for some real human headlines. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm going to start off in reverse order with a, a nod to our generative AI overlords that are coming. Um, so this is a human talking, but uh, talking about the, the Gen AI overlords. I, I saw a post by um, the awesome Glenn Cathy on uh, LinkedIn, and it was talking about a product called Air.ai. I don't know if that's the product's name. That's the URL. Um, so I'm just going to go with that for now. Um, but it was a tool that essentially had a, a demo of a video of a, a sales business development um, conversation where it was a telephone sales pitch where somebody was dialing up and saying, oh, I'm not interested in XYZ product. And then the system automatically responded to, to the inquiries and, and, and any kind of um, uh, handling of any kind of um, challenges or, you know, the, the, the whole kind of usual sales patter, et cetera. And it was fascinating. Like the, the depth of the conversation, the, how natural the conversation was, the way it did uh, kind of response management and objective handling, uh, objection handling, it was really, really fascinating. And obviously the, the obvious thinking for, for TA is, how that could work with either um, sourcing and outreach or that initial phone screen. And you need, obviously, to feed it with uh, um, the, the relevant info from a, a TA perspective. But the, and, and, you know, there's a lot you can dig into in terms of the RIA, RIA demo and how staged that was versus natural, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the concept was fascinating. The, the fact that, you know, you, this wouldn't be one conversation. It could be 10, 100, 1,000, million. You know, there's no limit to the number of conversations. It, it really does open up a, a an interesting Pandora's box of what does that initial first stage screening call look like and the objection handling look like um, for any any kind of sales pitch, both from a, an internal reaching out to candidates, but also agencies reaching out to recruiters and hiring managers trying to sell in their services. I think it's a, a really fascinating uh, Pandora's box we're opening. Oh, I I just <laughs> you don't know I'm embracing because of what we do right we embrace machine learning we embrace AI it's core and integral to what we're doing I listened to this Toby and I just wrote ah down I couldn't think of anything else to write because <laughs> I was just like it just didn't for me it just didn't cut it it just sounded like it sounded a bit like our version of the the podcast. So, uh, yeah, and I, it, for me, it was just really interesting. I went, the, the key skills for any person in a BD role or any outreach role are listening, interaction, and human behavior. Um, and, and if we're thinking about skills first, um, I think it's got a long way to go before we need to be too scared, scared about this version of AI. I would agree with the caveat of what you're describing there is a good salesperson. And I think we discussed this a little while back in terms of automation and, and et cetera. I think good people, whatever your jobs are, are probably safe from automation. It's the people yeah. that aren't good. It's the average. It's the bog standard and the poor that are going to get automated. And I think when you compare that sales pitch to some of the bog standard average and poor ones you get, I think it holds up pretty strong, for, particularly for a first gen. Um, I agree. I think once you start getting to the, the more subtle and once you start getting to the, the better sales individuals, 100%. We can't replace them. It won't replace my lightning. But um, I, I think the bog standard on average and also the scale, I think that still has its space within the, the field. Very cool. Um, that cochrane in the background just reminded me, um, Alan, we didn't get a yay. Oh, no, we didn't. Sorry. Let, let me do a yay now. We can't not forget the yay. Let's go. Yay! 
There we are. <laughs> Delayed yaying. Thank you. There we are. And apologies well, if, if AI was running this, it would have been way more efficient and that would have come out at the beginning, <laughs> wouldn't it? But to, uh, to your t- I, I've looked at Air Toby and I'm I unlike Alice, I'm, I'm I'm actually blown away by it. I think it's incredible. I think it's less of, I think the tone absolutely you can tell it's not a human. Yeah. I think I think some of the some of the some of the ability to deal with those objections and the depth of the answers were, has blown me away. Um, I've I signed up two or three days ago for a, for an account with it because I'm going to experiment the hell out of it. You guys know me and my passion for all this stuff, um, and I'll report back maybe on the next podcast we do with some stuff that's been relevant to my world, and we'll give it a real kind of tire kicking. But I I think the potential is massive. Well, that would be cool because actually our next podcast is with you, isn't it? So, um, that oh, would- yes. Yeah, so you you reporting on AI in in the world of TA, so that would be a really good. And actually, I think if I think more sensibly, what it was saying was brilliant. It, you're hmm. right; it was tone. Yeah, um, Anastasia, please just interrupt us, otherwise we'll just waffle on. Um, yeah. yeah, sure. No, I, I totally agree that there is still uh, room to improve for for the for the machine or robot, however we call it. But it's just so fascinating to. You know, when when we as in-house talent intelligence advise different businesses on, you know, the the future of work and skills for them, like data or technology, but this is also a future of of work for us as TA, and then how we we learn to work together uh, is definitely going to be exciting journey for the next years, I don't know, or decades, how we just uh, uh, make friends with, uh, with these tools. I love the idea of making friends with them. Well, I think it's a great, great. I, I hadn't thought about it in that, that perspective, but it, it is. You know, if you're suddenly going to your your VP of customer service saying, "Well, actually, let's rather than setting up this customer service contact center in whatever shared service location, we, we look to to automate in this way." Like customer service first point of contact, everyone complains that they're having to they can't talk to a human anymore. I think if you're phoning up and that you, you get that kind of automated response, I, I think that you know it's good enough that. You probably would feel like you've been talking to a human, and you know, is it perfect? No, but I think it for things like that contact centres. I think it could be fascinating. Let's remember, there's some absolutely appalling salespeople. Yeah, <laughs> oh, man. come on, just being without being too brutal. There are some absolute shockers who clearly know nothing about their product company, etc., and they're just kind of running through a script and anything they remotely left field or a slight curveball, and it. And actually, they turn into computers. We all remember the old Little Britain sketch. You might not, Anastasia, it's a very UK-centric comedy. Um, you know, computer <laughs> says no. That's humans doing that. At least for this computer, it's probably unlikely to say no because it'll yeah. actually be half decent. It would say, that's a really interesting question. Let me have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have See, I'm not sold. You can tell, can't you? I tried. I, I kind of came on the journey then. I was feeling a bit like a Luddite. And then you gave that scenario. And I was like, no, I can just imagine it going, that's not really <laughs> And me slamming the phone down in fury and thinking I just want to talk to an individual. <laughs> I'm back in my Luddite chair. You can definitely spot the spectrum of the, the person that's probably the strong, the strongest on the sales front out of out of us, and then me, the other end of the spectrum that's useless at sales and uh, is comfy in my comfy chair. Um, so uh, yeah, I, 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 I bat, tip my hat to you, Alison. You know sales better than me. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Fab, what else is happening then, Toby? There's loads of stuff around skills, and um, yeah. I found a few different news articles, and I, I was going to go through them individually, but. Um, 
Honestly, I don't know if I've got the the energy to. Um, it's so there's a big piece around LinkedIn did a load of research around skills based hiring and um, the European labour market and the EU kind of picked up on this, um, saying that you know your, your skills first approach is needed and it can reduce um, all versions of labour shortages and diversity issues and that also ties into kind of the A level results that came through in the UK recently, um, where you're suddenly seeing a big push of what, what do people do after that? Do they go and get degrees? And, you know, there's a huge piece of research from Indeed and, and Danny Stacey over at um, the, Indeed, the senior manager at TI there was talking about how, um, you know, we've seen a huge increase in the number of people stepping away from uh, degrees and looking towards things like apprenticeships, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that there is kind of this big movement at the, own, at the moment around skills-based hiring. And what does that look like? Um, I think it's, for me, I think it's a fascinating movement. You're definitely seeing certain platforms pushing it very, very hard. LinkedIn are obviously pushing it very, very hard, primarily, I think, because there aren't many platforms out there to actually do skills-based hiring on properly. Uh, LinkedIn is one of the few platforms where you've got a, a big scale of um, profile-level data where you can look at these skills across different orgs and levels, and etc. I, I still don't think we've kind of hit the nail on the head around what this actually means though how do you actually do this how do you actually do skills-based hiring if you're a ta function how do you actually hire somebody as a skills-based hire rather than against a job title how does that fit into your your compensation benefits framework how does that fit into your organizational design framework how does that fit into your promotion pathing if you're hiring for skills and then we really should be promoting and performance managing against skills rather than against job frameworks and job titles i think there's a lot a, a long 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 way to go and we're we're i'm interested i'm, I'm excited about where it's going and I, I think skills based is the future um i just think people are getting up on that hype train a bit a bit too fast compared to kind of the operational practicality of how to actually do this stuff Completely agree. Completely, and you know that yeah, Strathtons has always put skills skills first. You know, we built it right from the outset with skills, and the reality is that we've had to build in titles and roles to support skills, because clients are not yet ready to do skills based hiring. Um, and I think yeah, there's all sorts of things that are happening, right? Aren't there? Yeah, labour shortages are commonplace, and they will be for the foreseeable, right? Um, so, so people are going to have to be skills first. But if you read the article, it said three core things to do: one, understand the skills that you have and you need; two, embrace a skills first strategy; and three, develop your people. <laughs> and, well, yeah, every single company that I've spoken to will go. Well, we haven't got a clue what skills we've got. Never mind what skills we need. <laughs> I love the level of detail there in their advice because that's really helpful, isn't it? <laughs> Do these things that are really difficult. So, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely, yeah, the, the, the reality is it's absolutely right. There aren't enough people. We need to think differently. Skills first will bring more people in, into our population and our demographics. All perfect. Actually implementing it is the bit that's really hard. And it's those, I think there's there's two approaches. There's the the kind of the work days of this world with skills clouds who are able to tell you what skills you've got internally. And then there are the labor market analytics tools, which will tell you what the market looks like externally from a skills perspective. Yeah, it, but there's a you've got to do a whole bunch of stuff first. It's nowhere near that easy. 
Yeah, it for, for me it, it now feels that uh, TA tech landscape is a little bit above and and beyond what the the company's mindset is uh, yes. with regards to the skills based hiring or skills based organizations. You know, looking at some surveys, how companies actually assess the skills. You know, okay, this is the skills that we need. How, how do we assess that? Uh, the first three ways to assess the most common is the work experience, and then the university degree, which doesn't necessarily mean a skill, right? So how do we mm. also uh, change that mindset to still using the old proxies for a skill, such as a degree uh, or a job title in your experience uh, versus some new approaches to, to really be open to that as, as a hiring managers or as, as organizations? Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I think it, it's always the way, I think, isn't it? It's not necessarily... Um, just in the world of TA, that the tech landscape is ahead. You know, the very nature of the fact that you know you, you've got scale ups and you've got startups that are going, oh, well, there's a better way of doing this, means they're always they always need to be ahead of companies. But we need to allow companies time to come on the journey, <laughs> um, and to understand what it is that they need to do to come on the journey, rather than just assume that it's really easy to do because it isn't. I think. I think that for me, the the, the skills piece kind of lends into. Something that's kind of seemed to have fallen off the face of the earth in terms of conversation, it was everywhere, and now it's gone nowhere, is um, the whole gig workforce piece. Yeah. Um, and I, I think when you, you look at kind of the future, the potential future of larger companies and um, internal mobility and internal gig networking, et cetera, that does fit into the framework of skills-based hiring quite nicely because you can say, mm-hmm. well, actually, I need a data engineer for this three-month period or whatever it may be. Yes. And you, but you need a sufficient scale to be able to have these talent pools internally and the talent bench that can flex between projects and everything else. And I just I don't see any companies anywhere near that conversation and anywhere near that level of internal sophistication of, of skills analysis. Because um, even, as you say, with the Workdays and all the other platforms out there where you can look at your talent cards, you know, is that estimated that even with the, the, the previous CV and your talent card, even with the learning management system, you're still kind of nowhere near the total percentage of skills within an organization because so many skills are learned on the job. It's like 70, 80% of skills are learned on the job versus formal learning. Right? That's that's really hard to track in anything near to real time. Yeah, and I think it's um, it, it all ties back to workforce planning, doesn't it? Yeah, the organizations that have always been really strong at workforce planning are going to be a step ahead here. <laughs> and those organizations that have historically not been good at workforce planning are always going to be a step behind because you know, it, just the mentality of understanding you know, what is it we've got, never mind whether it's skills or roles, you know, just that mentality and then what is it we need is probably more important than jumping straight into skills first. You know, kind of total workforce planning of, or whatever we want to call it is, um, is going to be the key. You know, companies like Babcock who are st- you know, streets ahead in workforce planning um, will be streets ahead in this space, I suspect. Yeah. Do you think this? Uh, this is somebody who's not particularly knowledgeable in this space. Um, but do you think there's a there's a risk that as we move to more and more skilled based hiring, etc., and then we have skill based jobs, that those jobs by definition become narrower and narrower? So we end up with overly specialized roles that become yeah. less broad and less interesting. Ooh. Because in theory, if you, if you 
a a human only has so much capacity to learn so many skills. So there's a limit on what they can potentially specialize in. Is there a risk there that roles that potentially before were a little bit fluid, a little bit broad, a little bit, and actually different different personalities, different skill sets could fit them and achieve results in different ways, but still get to the, where the where the organisation needs. Is there a is there a potentially in the future where we start to pigeonhole stuff into these are the skills that the roles themselves get a bit kind of narrow? I don't. I, so I'm not. Do you know what I'm saying? I yeah, I do. I'm not an expert in this, but my gut is telling me it's the reverse. And I don't know why my gut is telling me that, but actually, if you think about a role and you're saying, actually, this particular role is about listening skills, it's about communication skills, it's about interacting with senior execs, mm. it's about data analysis, whatever it might be, right? If we're thinking about either sales or, or TI, then actually that makes that role quite broad. It means that the mm. role of someone in TI could be the consultant, could be the person that's selling it internally, could be the person that's researching and delivering, depending on the skills that they have and possess. Yeah. So yeah, it might it might go the other way, which actually would then be even more confusing for an organization because then they'll be like, Well, how on earth do we you know, you've still <laughs> got to be able to put people into boxes in some way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess you almost true, true skills based hiring is you never hire against a job. You'd yes. say that our organization needs 90 people who can do X, 50 people who can do Y, and 10 people who can do this, or so, or that percentage of skills, uh, and you hire into that. So you might have somebody who comes along who's got a different mix of somebody else, but they're adding to the total that you need as an organization. Yep. And you forget about the job titles to a certain degree and just worry about what they're bringing to the organization. That itself then becomes massively complicated to manage, yes. deciding who does what and who has responsibility for what. But in theory, that's the pure play, isn't it? I'd go and say, Toby, you're brilliant at X. I want you in the business. Let's not worry about a job title. I'm willing to pay you this for your time and your skill set that you're bringing. Exactly that. And we'll worry about what you do when you get here. Exactly that. And that's where the internal gig mobility piece comes in. But until you can kind of have that fluidity around it, and I think there are companies that have played with this. If I remember rightly, Google Labs, Google X, the, the, yeah. the kind of experimental lab program, um, it, you used to be hired onto whatever team, whatever program, but you had total fluidity. So if you didn't like mm. that program or that project, you could just move into another team. And and so it, it really did flex your skills, but also the, the leadership capability of the program leads, I guess. Um, so I think there, are, there, there probably is a potentially a future where this this works but it's a fundamental change in how we as as hr how we manage and how we structure and how we performance manage and everything it really it's for me it's far more fundamental than a lot of people are giving it credit yeah i hadn't even thought about performance management oh that's like a whole nother kettle of Mm. Suddenly, you have to performance manage on a project basis. If you're doing the gig thing on a project by project, on a gig by gig, yeah. How do you validate? How do you say, well, actually, that person is a high performer versus the other individuals? Do you, do you then have to suddenly like cross reference back to the person giving the reference? And it's <laughs> it's a can of worms. I suppose to a certain degree, you'd, 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 you'd performance manage the project itself, working on the principle that an individual will work across three, four, five different projects. Yep. And if the running theme is every project they're on has been successful, or to varying degrees, then in theory, that person themselves is adding benefit to the organisation. If every project that person's on is a disaster, there's a kind of, again, a running thread that says probably that person isn't adding much value. But it's a little bit more complicated than that, clearly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's essentially a portfolio career internally. Mm. I like it. Yeah, I th- I would find that interesting, actually, As if, if I went back to anybody ever 
deeming me employable again. Um, I definitely find that quite interesting, that kind of portfolio, internal portfolio career in a larger organization. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Toby that the change is, I guess, is even more fundamental that we can even imagine. And yeah. I'm not sure if total workforce planning is the first part of it, because before that, you also have some strategizing as on a company level and how the strategy sort of links to people elements. Yes. And the traditional thinking is so much about, okay, this is our strategy. This is the structure, which is about functions and titles that we need, yes. but also how do we translate the company strategy into that organizational capacity mm. from a skills lens or also the size of the skills lens but not from how many people in which direct function and then it all just comes together so it's even before that there is also on the strategy level some discussion on do we see our organization as a mix of functions and titles or uh, skills how do we understand that yeah, and and it's it's easy, isn't it? In, in all of these things, it's easy to think about it when you're thinking about hard skills. Right? It's much much more difficult when you're talking about roles that don't necessarily have hard skills in, um, mm. and and that creates then a whole another conversation. I think you're a hundred percent right, Anastasia. Excellent. So what else is happening? Perhaps we do one more news article because we've unusually spoken a lot about one particular thing. Maybe one more and then we can move on to interviewing Anastasia, Toby. Yeah. So um, I've got one one main one to talk about, but I'll touch on the other two quickly just as a heads up. Um, One of them that I saw that's quite interesting was China's youth really worrying about the tough job market uh, and the, the youth unemployment rate being so high. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's record figure, 21% um, of people aged 16 to 24 are jobless, which is huge. Um, but the bit that was most interesting to me about that was uh, that the Chinese government have said they're going to stop publishing age-related employment data. Um, and I think that's, that kind of lends into the bigger concern about the Chinese working population and, and the fact they have been year over year getting much more restrictive on the employment data and the demographic data they're publishing. So I think that that's a big can of worms we need to open up at some point. Um, there was also a really interesting paper from the Trades Union Congress, the TUC in the UK, um, looking at, the, in their words, Britain's workers abused by the Tories and bosses from racism to zero hour, hour contracts. And it was basically looking at the how many, once again, in their words, uh, black and brown workers are in insecure work, and that's more than doubled from 2011 to 2022, from 360,000 to over 800,000 um, individuals. Really, really interesting. And it breaks down the whole statistics of more than twice as likely than white men to be in insecure work. Um, it just loads, loads of really interesting stuff there. And I think there's lots of nuance and um, lots to dig into on that t- subject, but really interesting topic. But the, one I, the last news piece I actually want to dig into is uh, the Ukraine war and how Poland's labour market has changed through that period. Um, and there was a few different bits. One was the, the overall number. So we had about 14 million Ukrainians crossing into Poland seeking refuge, um, which was huge. We then also had a, a reversal with some of the displaced individuals eventually returning back to their homelands, which is about another 3 million. But it was the positive net impact of that was really fascinating. So um, Ukrainian refugees opening over 17,000 businesses in Poland during the first year of that conflict, which is, for context, normally uh, in Poland, you get about 7,000 businesses established year on year. So huge increase. 
um, the way that the Polish government is simplifying their, their whole processes and um, digitizing their residency and work permit procedures to kind of fast track this stuff and get things moving. For me, I found, I found it fascinating. And, and I think it's something that we're not, as a TI industry, necessarily exploring enough of how how the war is impacting tech skills across Europe or skills across Europe, um, both from a Ukrainian perspective. And obviously, we, we've spoken in the past about um, a, a Russian tech skills migration we've seen going through as well. So I thought, for me, it was a really interesting story and a, a really positive situation coming out of the, the terrible situation there. And, and isn't it? I think one of the biggest things here is that we, we as a country, the UK, um, complain about a couple of hundred thousand refugees coming coming to the country every year, whereas Poland has managed to um, effectively um, allow three million Ukrainians to make Poland their new home. It's incredible, and and do it in a way that's benefited Poland as well as the as well as the refugees that are settling there. So it's incredible. And by the way, Toby, I think every time you do the news moving forward, you should have a cockerel in the room with you. <laughs> <laughs> I insist. Do you know what? I, it, we we one day one day not on the podcast. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to swear. By the way, I'm going to tell you the story about Basil the bastard bantam cockerel, um, <laughs> and, and he no longer exists in our household for several reasons. You um, <laughs> throttled him. No, no, no. He lived. To, Basil lived to be eleven, which is very old for a cockerel. I'm gonna tell you, I'll tell you a little bit now, but not all of it. Yeah, we um, need to know now. Yeah, otherwise, because otherwise we won't talk to Anastasia, which is way more important than Basil. Um, uh, but the day that he died of natural causes, I have to tell you, my daughter said, can I hug him, mummy? I looked at her and went, yes, why? And she went, well, let's be honest. She went, all he's done is attack me for the last 10 years. At least now he's dead, I can have a hug. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and w- w- was he tasty? No, we didn't. He was a bantam, so he was too little to go in the oven. No. He, he'd have been a bit scrawny and horrible. Anyway, that was Basil. <laughs> um, going going back to Poland's Labour Mode, I so I I'm like you. I loved this. I just you know, I loved it for for the first reason that was um, welcoming with open arms, right, and just a million miles away from where we have been as a nation. The second reason was was actually I think really interestingly, you know, Poland had some. You know, made some real advantages in their labour market, you know, kind of five years ago, ten years ago, to create the kind of next spot for talent, particularly around tech skills, or or if you were offshoring or outsourcing somewhere. And then what happened is that we started to see that in Poland they they actually became kind of a hotspot for talent as a result of that. And so actually they they then lost the advantage of being a low cost country for. For um, for offshoring or outsourcing something, and now they've reinvented that themselves again and said, actually, here is a different way, and this is where the skills are, and this is a different way of approaching us. So it's incredibly clever as well, I think, in in amongst everything else, and just goes to show the amazing amount of talent that is in both Poland and in Ukraine, and um, you know, leave, leaving Russia and the tech migration. I think I think the migration of skills. Not necessarily Ukraine and Poland and, and 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 Russia. I think the migration of skills is a really really interesting topic. Yeah, so, so I love the fact that we uh, speak about this topic on on the Independence Day of Ukraine. So that's yes. uh, great that it all comes together. But it's it's also again about the skills economy that not necessarily the the refugees from Ukraine will work on the same 
jobs that they used to do in Ukraine, but because of the situation, their motivation to really stay open and, and agile in, in what they work on, what kind of skills they acquire really helps uh, the society to benefit from that. And I'm, of course, quite exposed to a lot of uh, people who are impacted and mm. are in Netherlands or in Poland. Uh, and most of people whom I personally know, they find a job not necessarily related to their original profession in Ukraine, but uh, a lot in tech space. So definitely companies and, and even like scale-up startups are benefiting a lot from um, from inflow of talents, but also of talent which is overly motivated uh, and also open to learn new things. And brilliant talent. Okay. Yeah. So um, happy Independence Day, Ukraine. Absolutely. Thanks. It was uh, this time last year when I set off in a in a minibus to drive to the Ukraine border to bring back seventeen Ukrainian refugees to the UK. Literally today that I set off on that journey. So uh, yeah, wow. so uh, this thank is very you. meaningful. Hats yeah, off, thank you, Alan. I've got goosebumps now. That's it. Well, That's well, what, what are you doing with your life? What, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Toby, remember that conversation we had before the podcast where we said we haven't got all of the silly stuff out of the way before we start recording? It's starting to come to the table. I think that's me feel like I've achieved nothing with my life. That wasn't my intent, by the way. It just kind of brought back a memory. And um, and I'm going going on holiday tomorrow, which isn't to to Ukraine or Poland. I'm going somewhere hot and sunny, and I'm thinking how different my world is compared to last year. So. It's we're very right. lucky. We're all very lucky people to a certain degree, aren't we? Mm. Sure. 100%. Anyway, shall we move on to finding out more about Anastasia? We've heard about her view on some of the news, of course, but um, and Alison, I think it's your turn to step up and um, let's hear about more about Anastasia's work. Cool. Fab. Thank you very much. Um, Anastasia, thank you for being on the podcast. Um, you, you and I haven't connected actually in, in the past. Um, so this is a really interesting one because I don't kind of come to the conversation with any kind of prior views or, or, or um, knowledge of you, which I think was really interesting. Um, and so I'd written down kind of some standard questions, but then you said human capital analysis when you were doing your introduction. I was like, yes, 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 yes. Here's somebody who talks about human capital. So that made me really, really excited. So can you um, talk a little bit more about um, you, you kind of why you call it human capital and then what you mean by human capital analysis? Yeah. Uh, first of all, is also to, to get and, and step away a little bit from um, – this traditional focus on how much people we hire, you know, mm-hmm. and when we talk about the FTEs or a number of contractors, whatever, I think it's just a discussion which is changing, of course, a lot these days in the industry, but will be changing more as, as we speak about the skills. And also, you know, uh, I, I also view human capital as not just a sum of people, but if you add one skill to another, the sum is much bigger than, you know, just the individual parts. Yeah. Um, and also in, in the industry that I currently work in, semiconductors, it's it's a very interesting industry. It's very different, of course, from, from my time at Philips. Yeah. Um, a lot of the same challenges uh, that many other companies and industries are facing, you know, such as talent shortage. But the, the, the way how it's volatile and also subject to many other um, influences from external worlds, it also doesn't make it much relevant to only speak about, okay, how many people we have in which location uh, when we speak about location strategy. But 
thinking more broadly what do we need, what kind of capital we want to build uh, on the human side and how it will enable us to achieve our strategy and our ambitions. Um, this is where I try to focus on. And um, uh, so far, it lands quite well with, uh, with the business because um, I think that... Uh, you know, that business partnering that we speak about NTA and HR is also a little bit um, understanding that uh, the, the finance people or business people would, would think about it as a capital, as one of the assets yes. um, and not just the, the people or the job titles or the FTEs. I love that. Thank you. I, I talk about human capital a lot and then you know, some people shoot me down. And, and you've just summed it up brilliantly, right? This is not about just the sum of the people. It's about the, the sum of the skills that we have as an organization and thinking about them as an integral part of our strategy. Um, yep. and, and when you start to treat the skills that we have as an asset, um, yeah, and, and I've said for years, yeah, if we started to treat off access to financial capital in the same way that we treat access to the skills we need to deliver our strategy, most companies would have been belly up very quickly. You know, and so it's it's helping business leaders, isn't it, to to make that that yeah. connection and, and conversation. So yeah. how did that then flow into because you I think I'm right in saying you set up the team at Nexperia. So how did that then flow into the initial conversations of what the team is about and the sorts of things that you are likely to deliver? Um, yeah, I think, it, it again, if we start with a vision, uh, with a focus on the human capital, mm-hmm. um, then for me it was a bit logical that uh, it means that we not only focus on bringing the data on, you know, the the, the size of the, the the, the the talent polls, you know, the cost and some location strategy related uh, topics, mm-hmm. but not only what we need, right? What skills we need, but also how things work together, mm-hmm. and that ties, of course, a lot into some org design topics, um, uh, different ways of working topics, and you know, um, that that was a little bit a vision or the goal to to bring this all together um, and and really focus on. Um, not only the talent supply demands uh, and, and, and costs, which are really very uh, traditional and very brilliant and valuable insight from a talent intelligence perspective, but also trying to explain how to make things work together efficiently. Uh, if we speak about the skills, okay, but how do we organize those skills into some kind of teams or some kind of uh, functions? Um, so that's a little bit the focus, you know, as a twofold. Um, and also I'm really trying to um, um, somehow bring together the perspective from talent acquisition team, HR and, and the business. Um, of course, we all work to- towards the common goal and, and achieving our company ambition, uh, but then we all have different perspectives. So it's yeah. also how we structure our projects and our activities uh, is pretty much adopting the lens of the stakeholder uh, for HR or, or TA or business, um, and then making sure that we really uh, bring these to, those pieces together. Uh, and I'm, I'm really love to see how open um, and how, I don't know, curious uh, all the stakeholders are uh, and really with a lot of appetites for data um, and also a lot of appetite for insights. So, uh, I'm, I'm quite lucky, to be honest, uh, with a lot of support, of course, uh, from from HR team. But um, I thought it would go a little bit slower in the beginning when you start to, you know, get some projects and requests, uh, and you start to show the value. But it got 
got super super fast with a lot of a lot of uh, request demand coming in uh, so a lot of work uh, keeps us uh, super busy so that's that's really good that's but do you report into talent acquisition or do you yes. report into a job yeah okay um can you talk a little bit about the shape of your team so sort of how, how many people are in the team um and and how do you then kind of balance some of the strategic projects that you've been talking about against what we would call the stuff that in an ideal world you want the TA team to be to be self-serving on? Yeah, um, I think uh, the, the Nixperia is is a very fast-paced environment, uh, mm. which also means that we as a team should be fast-paced um, and really trying to be very agile in how we prioritize our work, mm. really following what's on the agenda for the business uh, at this particular moment of time mm-hmm. um the team is, is 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 still quite small right we started uh, half a year ago we mm-hmm. have um uh, uh three apart from myself three people currently um across the globe um yeah. and uh, the skill set is mostly management consulting or human capital consulting um on the team so we really try to approach it from the consulting point of view uh, with some frameworks and methodologies to to really bring advice. Uh, however, what is really unique and uh, very different from how I experienced it during Philip's time is how closely I am connected to the global TA team. Yeah. Um, and, and so we sort of work together in all the projects. We always set up a project team with some uh, people from my team. Uh, so really that market intelligence and the talent acquisition team, and it really works perfectly fine. Um, as I said, the industry is, is very <laughs> unique. Um, yeah. You have to be very specialized in, in knowledge of your markets, of your particular country, and, and the TA team is, is really brilliant. So, um, and also very open to you know exploring new ways to bring data to impact the hiring strategy. And uh, we really try to make sure that we work all together on the projects. Really interesting, I, uh, and yeah, you, look, you're you're in a world where skill shortages are screaming. But as you said, yeah, you know, actually there are m- many more external factors that are limiting your <laughs> ability to grow as a business, right? Yeah, you know, um, and and you know, assets. If you think about assets, skills happens to be one of those, right? But some of it is actually material, physical materials, yep. and all those sorts of things. So um, that, that's forcing the joining of the dots, if you like. I love that. Um, you did a master's in strategic management. I think, um, which explains why you, well, it doesn't explain why you're so intelligent. That's a bit harsh. But it ex- um, it's one of the reasons why you're definitely talking in, in, in a language that is very commercial and very strategic. Um, what, what was the plan when you did that? Did you ever think that, that this was a space that you would end up in, in market intelligence? Oh, d- definitely not. It, it was a, a very coincidence, but uh, a very happy coincidence, uh, I would say. Um, before actually doing the master in strategic management, I had some experience in executive search in, mm-hmm. in Ukraine, and I really loved that industry. Like when mm-hmm. I joined that, I had no idea what it was. You know, what you know, as a bachelor student of second year, you, you have no idea what executive search is, what, what executives actually do, mm-hmm. how to hire them. But it was really interesting. And that's, you know, of course, 
definitely helped me build some passion for the people side, really understanding that a good top manager in a company is is one of the core elements of, of, of the success of the company. So that was quite interesting to at least get an idea of what the human capital is, mm-hmm. um, because I think in Ukraine also, uh, not sure about other countries, but uh, maybe it's the same, but there is a lot of, you know, some some prejudice or or some uh, image about what HR is, uh, mm-hmm. and it's called as very operational, you know, admin focused. Um, and that executive search environment was very different, and and we worked with very different type of people, obviously. But then dur- during the master program, there was actually a presentation about Philips and talent intelligence team from <laughs> the brilliant Herit, whom we all uh, know uh-huh. here yeah. on this group. And and it, it, I actually was not there, but my boyfriend was, and he was like, "It sounds like something with what you would enjoy." And then that's how I actually got uh, to talent intelligence world and extremely happy about that decision. How cool. Um, so Herod and your boyfriend, next barrier, have a lot to say thank you for, frankly. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm interested in, we, we talk to a lot of um, people, and, and I'm in, in this same pool, right, who've come from executive search at the beginning of their career um, and then sort of moved you know, through research into insight and, and, and then into to intelligence and, and market intelligence. Um, if you look back now at general, generally speaking, at executive search, so not at any particular business, but generally speaking, what do you think are the opportunities that that industry is missing from a TI or a market intelligence point of view? Uh, that That's a good question. Um, I always was of an idea that... Um, the idea of doing talent intelligence or that research into the industry from the angle of talent and mm-hmm. people actually came from the executive search. Mm-hmm. Because I remember that, um, you know, the company I worked for was very focused on really understanding the industry, uh, the industry ecosystem, the people who work in this particular industry, mm-hmm. how it's how it's moving, shifting. So that industry research, I think, was very strong. And, and we sort of, of course, uh, advanced it with the talent intelligence tools and, and the problem statements that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking of what's missing, um, maybe, you know, with that exposure to the top management uh, from the candidates and from the client point of view uh, maybe that you're also trying to influence that mindset um, of top managers of what the people what the talent is Um, and you know earlier we spoke about the skills and one of the bottlenecks to adopting that skills-based organization is actually the mindset of top managers in companies Mm -hmm. so maybe also uh, being that channel to um, you know bring some uh, translate the messages about human capital and not just you know people hr uh would would be an opportunity but um yeah i i, I honestly haven't been that in that industry for already quite some years and yeah. I, I i'm not sure what the current uh, state of uh, executive search uh, landscape is no me, me me neither but i think it's i think i've, I've still kind of got this um, this view that could be completely wrong um that in in some executive search organisations, you have this always-on intelligence that's looking at industry, it's looking across the board, whilst in others it's still reacting to um, a particular environment because that's where you make your fees, right? So, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, and, and I just think that the, the power of the information that you can gather in an executive search conversation 
and how that then gets aggregated um, and, and used for intelligence purposes or market insights purposes, um, I, I think it's still an opportunity that's potentially being missed by some organisations in that space. But I don't, I don't, as I said, I, I, that's kind of a gut feel. I'm not sure I've got anything to back it up, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about um, what your time at Philips gave you. So kind of what were the takeaways that you – um, you then took forward into Nexperia because I think you, you had a fantastic training ground. Oh, yes. It was an amazing time of my life. And first of all, meeting people, you know, like Toby and Harriet and many other colleagues uh, from Philips and mm. learning from really the brilliant minds. Um, mm. That was that was definitely the key takeaway. Um, and first of all, of course, secondly, also learning about the, what the talent intelligence is that is and that it actually exists uh, and that it's a very cool, um, cool environment or industry to, to work at. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, a, a lot of exposure to the corporate world because, you know, as a student or also in Ukraine, you don't have, of course, such big corporates or especially the headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, so being in that global HQ environment of a great company, great in terms of also the size products where they are with also their HR strategy um, was, was a great, great exposure and uh, learning. Um, many things, it, it, it's so difficult to, to summarize because it, it feels like, um, you know, being graduate and then entering that first part of your career or like a first big imp- Incorporate in your career is a big challenge for many. Also, going through the news that we had on on today, to be on on the youth unemployment, mm-hmm. um, so that was like exploring a whole new world uh, of very big corporate uh, environments. Um, and I must say, I enjoyed a lot um, and going through different changes uh, in terms of the strategy, in terms of the organic and organic growth of the company was also interesting because what you actually read in books uh, about mergers, acquisitions, divestments, or, you know, strategizing or program management, strategy execution, and then actually you go in a company where you can see how it's been implemented not to say by the books, but it, it's been actually implemented in reality. So linking the theory to the practice was also a very, very good experience and, and really valuable. Really interesting. Would you um, Could you talk about the kind of core user cases now for TI in your world? Um <clears throat> A lot, um, as I say, as I've said, our industry is is very interesting. Uh, just to cite Deloitte, right? Because every year they produce some industry outlook, also for semiconductors, and the outlook for this year is called balancing shortage and oversupply. And for me, it's like really my mind is exp- exploding. Right? We have both shortage and we have oversupply in the industry, and that's you know a little bit. First, how do you understand it? How do you make sense of it? Uh, but also, how do you work with that? Can you um, help me understand it? Because you've blown my mind. I've gone, I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I th- they have a lot of uh, shortage in terms of talent, in terms of some materials, so supply chain shortage. Yeah. But on the other hand, there is o- also an oversupply, o- overproduction of, of some uh, items or materials. Um, so... How do you balance that, uh, creating 
the right strategy. That's, of course, uh, the company task. But also from a talent perspective, how do you balance that? Is, is how do you create also that agility of the organization to meet the oversupply and shortage mm. um, is an interesting, interesting task. And um, talent shortage is a big, big issue in, in the semiconductor industry. I think one of the two biggest with supply chain and the talent shortage being really mm. the core. Uh, so that creates a lot of uh, work and uh, that creates, of course, a lot of impact on how do we tackle the talent shortage? How do we get the right talent on board? Where do we get that? So, mm, those kind of uh, traditional uh, talent intelligence use case on location strategy and hiring strategy, finding the right talent, finding the right skills, uh, finding the right mix and attracting them to the company um, is a big uh, question and, and, and a big focus. Mm. Um, and here also is interesting. Um, that's what I do not really recall that much from Philip's side is the amount of influences that you have outside of your company. And that's not only customers, right? Not only consumer demands, uh, but also geopolitics, uh, world economy, uh, supply and, uh, you know, supply of materials, uh, which also means the extraction of materials and the supply of, of products. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all really influencing. And every month you have some, some volatile, uh, indexes. Mm -hmm. So th that's kind of interesting because you cannot say, well, this is our, our location, uh, talent location strategy for the next 10 years yeah. because the environment is changing every month or every half year. Um, so, uh, we try to uh, also in that uh, uh, location strategy, try to uh, distinct a little bit some best practices or how do we actually do our location strategy versus a more operational, okay, but what do we do now? Um, but th that's a big focus. And of course, a lot of focus on uh, market intelligence um, and some use cases with uh, competitive insights. Um, I think that's what I was uh, talking on uh, on the TA talent intelligence Yambore half a year ago. Yes. How can we actually use talent intelligence to analyze the competition, the markets? Uh, that's another big use case. Uh, also uh, seen a lot of uh, a lot of application and and um, appetite from from business stakeholders so far. Can you give um uh two or three top tips on if if you're looking through competitive intelligence or market intelligence can you give two or three top tips to someone who is just trying to persuade their business leaders that ti is more than than looking at how do we hire and how do we attract to the company yeah first i think first tip is to ask a lot of questions um mm -hmm. because that would maybe help to open up that mind or perception from the business side that, well, I'm, I'm talking to the talent acquisition team and what they do, they will hire some people for me. And then when you ask questions to, uh, you know, understand, okay, but what's your business challenge? Not what do you want me to do now for this particular acquisition, but what's, okay, what are you trying to achieve as a business? What, what's the challenges you have? What's the bottleneck in terms of how you want to scale your business? Uh, what, what are your priorities? So maybe asking those questions will, um, in the beginning, uh, uh, transfer the discussion from being focused on where and how we hire five, 10 people for the particular team, I don't know, to from a longer term perspective or from more high level, what do we actually need as a business? And then um, that leads maybe to a second tip, trying to, to really uh, understand a little bit how things are connected to each other when mm -hmm. we speak about strategy, 
then the strategy execution, then the, the, the organizational structure or the human capital, how it then translates actually to talent acquisition, to hiring, uh, hiring forecasting. What is that, right? How, how it, how it's being done? Is it just the replacements? Is it the, the growth? So trying to maybe, uh, draw, I don't know, or, or uh, understand the, the company or the organization as a big puzzle and to make sense how all these puzzles come together uh, would also help to uh, get a good idea what what is actually needed from the talent insights or um, talent acquisition insights, uh, human capital insights point of view to really address the right problem at hand. So, and and that explains a lot the way that you answer that question. It explains a lot about the skills of the the why you have the skills of the individuals in your team that you have. Right. And and um I think that's really interesting, right? Because this is all about consulting and really understanding the strategy and where talent fits within a part of that, right? It is one of the pieces of the jigsaw um and and not the whole picture. Right. Yep. Me, we actually did a jigsaw, it actually reminds me, we did a jigsaw as a kind of marketing gimmick, I think, many years ago, which had talent and location and you know, kind of geopolitical environment and all sorts of things all, all in the middle of the jigsaw. I'll have to try and find it um, and send you one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. It's been really, really fascinating talking with you. Um, uh, I, I think I'd just like to ask one more question, if I may. Sure. Um, and that is, what do you think the future of TI should be? That's a good one. Um, I'm, I'm taking too too big of a pause to think about it. No, um, you're fine. You don't take. Yeah, take I, I think uh, bringing together the internal, so that really the people mm-hmm. analytics, that total workforce planning, um, or total workforce strategy, future of work, um, and talent intelligence together. Yeah. Uh, for me, it makes a lot of sense um, because, as I said, you know, um, maybe a third tip that I forgot to mention in your previous question was to also always challenge yourself as TI when yes. you look at your, your presentation or your uh, Word document or whatever, what you want to share with stakeholders and ask yourself, so what, right? So what does it tell you? Um, and for me, if we really build that future or achieve that future for talent intelligence, when the internal, uh, the workforce strategy, um, the future of work and talent intelligence comes together, then it really helps to answer that question of so what, right? So what does this amount of data that we all have and share, uh, so what does it tell us and how we can actually act on that? Uh, for me, just would be maybe a little bit more efficient in a sense of really uh, creating some tractions and achieving some steps uh, for organization based on the talent intelligence research or t- uh, people analytics um, uh, outside uh, in, insights as well. I think that's so. One of the things that we're definitely seeing in, in our client base is that companies that started with us um, in a kind of a self-serve using the software, those that are more mature and have now got really good people analytics data are definitely now moving to API data feeds, where it's how can we integrate the data with our internal data? Because that's when we, when it starts, yeah, we're talking a lot about it, right? That's when magic happens. Internal and external is magic. Um, yep. Yep. So yeah, 100% on the same page. Anastasia, I've, I've loved talking to you. You've talked about all sorts of things like human capital, where I've got, oh my God, I don't, it, it all just makes utter sense. Thank you. 
Thank you, Alison. Great questions and uh, thanks. I got I got two good questions. When when Nick um, used to be on the podcast as as well, and hopefully he'll come back and join us again at some point. He always used to get people going. Oh, great question! I never used. To. I was like, well, oh. used to make me sulk a lot. Um, and now he's not here. I don't have to sulk. It's cool. <laughs> and um, I think on that note, guys, Anastasia. By the way, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much Thank for having you so on much. the show. Um, how how's it been for you? For me, yeah, it's it, it's really amazing time. It it feels like also talking to friends who I know already a lot of time. So uh, yeah, that, that's 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 really a great. Thanks for having me a lot, uh, and I also enjoy the questions, uh, Alison, a lot because you know, good question also provokes a lot of thinking, you know, and maybe it leads to some new ideas. So yeah, it's been a lovely discussion. Enjoyed yeah, it. Lots. Well, they don't ask the questions. <laughs> yeah. Don't have any good ones and it doesn't provoke any kind of thought or interest. Oh. <laughs> so Toby, Toby needs propping up a little bit, Alice, so that we need to tell him he, he asked really good questions. That's why I was, awesome. the confidence That's why I was demoted to the news. That is so not true. Anastasia, are you going to come to the the world's first in-person Global Talent Intelligence Conference in the Netherlands at the end of September? Absolutely. And I'm hoping to see all of you and I'm hoping to see a lot more uh, TI peers from all over the globe. I think that will happen. That's fantastic news. Brilliant. Now the pressure's on to get this published before then, isn't it? Otherwise, it's going to be very confusing. No the pressure's on anyway because we've talked about this being National Independence Day for Ukraine, right? And it has to therefore go out quite quickly. Oh, hmm, that was not true. so smart to mention that. No, 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 no. It was fine. <laughs> fine. I'll make sure at the beginning of the intro that I timestamp it when I record that later. So that's fine. Go, we'll be good. Um, anyway, it's Anastasia, again, it's been great having you. Um, I'm going to call this thing to a stop. We need to release everybody involved back into the real world. Um, to our listeners, as usual, massive thanks for looking after us, for supporting us, for sharing the podcast. Keep doing that. Keep telling everybody about us. Um, and if you haven't got any real friends in the real world, join the Talent Intelligence Collective Facebook group uh, or the WhatsApp group. Um, whilst both of those have still got users, um, you'll find a ton of like-minded people there. Um, and as usual, stay intelligent, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Before you go, I wanted for the last time to remind you about our generous sponsor, Stratagens. Here's that posh chap again, telling you about their fabulous product. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more.